Thank you both so much. It is good to be together today, particularly given where we were a week ago. Um, as you would have seen or heard, we've tried to get information out, an auto accident early 
uh, Sunday morning, knocked down a power pole. We had no reliable power on site, and so we moved outside and had a marvelous, unplanned time together, uh, worshiping, praying, singing, and taking communion. Uh, I've heard no more about uh, how the couple in the car is doing, so I have no more information to report on that. But I'm thankful to be together, how it encourages me to hear, again, the, the ministry, the gifts of God in the people of God um, applied in that way. So we're here. I, I think it's worthwhile for us to remind ourselves that circumstances can change in a moment. Learning to follow God in them and to worship is an important thing. And so that's, that's really key. That was part of the lesson from last week. But boy, am I glad we're here. Our call to worship this morning is Psalm 100. Uh, Psalm 100. We will uh, do this responsibly from the screen. It begins, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, before we go on, I just realized we are working with last week's set of slides. And so, Cynthia, you may need to help, or somebody back there, they could help her. Um, Deb, would you know where to look at those? I'm sure that's 918, and I can walk back there and do it. Yep, that will be next, and we wanted to do all creatures of our God and King. That's, so that's last week. So we're just kind of relaxing here for a moment. Yeah. Do you see the service over on the left, or should I walk back and do that? No, that's not going to work. Do what? Just relax and tell the person next to them, this pastor is crazy. <laughs> All righty. It's a click, and I know just where it is. You, oh, that's right. You don't know. Um, I see it right here. Yeah, click on it. I did. Okay. Um, no. Uh, we're... Now click on 925. I did. Double click. Again. Okay, try 918 then. There we go. Right? No. Well, let, let me get in there. We could have all kind of mess. Just let me.
to God of grace and God of glory? Oh, do you? So mine is the one that's wrong. Okay, I think we've just determined that everybody in the room had that just right except... So, now turn to the person next to you and say, do we really want to give him control? <laughs> Let us worship. Let's stand and sing to the glory of God. Amen. Have a seat if you would, please. All right, back in track. I'm glad to welcome those of you who've been able to join on site. We're here together to worship God with one voice and one heart. And I, my expression of thanks to those who are online by live stream recording, letting us join you in your space, in your time to serve and worship the Lord. We've gathered to, to his glory and for our joy and healing. A couple of quick things after worship this morning. There will be a coffee fellowship with a meet and greet. We'll do the post-service follow-up down in classroom number one where I give opportunity for folks to ask questions, um, discuss. It's a more interactive kind of thing. And you would have seen, I think, in the newsletter that we had to cancel the Tunnel Park barbecue, uh, pushing that back to October the 2nd. So great things there. A couple of quick slides. One, very excited about upcoming event in November 13. Our 9 a.m. celebration worship service will be led by the music of the Holland, uh, the Holland Bach Society. 
as they take Bach music and put it once again in the context of local church worship. We'll continue to pray, I'll be preaching, but the music will be a really special opportunity to kind of go back to roots, Reformation roots. Uh, Bach was the musical expression, I think, of the uh, Protestant Reformation in marvelous ways. So really looking forward to that. Um, Also, if you will text the word CONNECT to this number, it'll send you a link to a uh, form that lets you communicate with us if you'd like to be part of our Thursday night uh, email that comes out about 7 o'clock, or if you'd like a call from me, let's us connect that way. I'll give you a quick word about yesterday. Our Park to Park run is a Neighbors Plus fundraiser. As I understand, we had about 600 runners. We had a large number of volunteers. You can't do a 13-mile run with a walk and a shorter run and all of that without a huge support from volunteers. And that's what many of you were as part of that. I thank you very much for that. You know, the biblical vision for the church is not a place where wonderful people gather to hear a great pastor say smart things. I've just kind of played that out this morning, haven't I? God's vision is that leaders equip the members of the body for works of service. That I help you discover your gift, your calling. We help weave that together into ministry to the community and to the glory of God. You're to be equipped for the works of service so that the body, that is the church, can be built up, strengthened, and reach the unity of faith. I do not believe that you have called me or other leaders to do ministry. When we do ministry, that just creates consumers in the pew. I believe on the authority of Scripture that you have called leaders and staff to equip, to organize, and to send forth in ministry. To be staff-led, which a large church like Hardwick is, is not the same as being staff-implemented. Do you see the difference with that? I'm happy to lead, but I can't implement. It's the calling of God on all of us. Some people serve in ways you see and some you don't. Through the course of this week, there were people here landscaping and cleaning to make this all the better to receive people. There was coffee this morning. There's been construction going on when you weren't here. There's actually organizing sometimes. They get around me. Uh, Phone calls made to people to extend encouragement, cards, extra prayer, hospitality. All these things are how God does ministry through a local church. He moves in your life, and then by his grace, we do that together. So that's my goal as we go into this year. I'm very, very thankful to see that uh, going on. God is adding to our number. A quick word, Wayne and Barb Vriesman recently joined us here at Celebration of Heart of Wyke by transfer of their letter from Elmhurst CRC in Chicago. Some of you have roots at that church. Now, they lived in most of their married life in Chicago and Denver, where Wayne spent much of his career with WGN and the Tribune Corporation. Having spent summers here in Holland for years, they relocated finally, uh, just before COVID, and we're glad to receive them as members. They have three children, a son and a daughter still living, and a daughter now deceased, 11 grandchildren, and 19 great-grandchildren. 
That's kind of a good Dutch approach, isn't it? Um, Wayne is currently, and the reason I'm just sharing some of this stuff with you, I talked with her. Wayne is currently being treated for cancer on his one remaining kidney, and so we want to remember him with that need as we pray, but we're glad to receive them uh, as members and stand with him in that way. Meredith, why don't you come on up and tell us, we have a report uh, from the council. We're looking to communicate. Meredith serves as the celebration elder, and I'll give you the mic. Thanks. So I have my announcement written by Darwin. Uh, again, I'm Meredith Seenwijk. I'm entering my third and final year as elder here for celebration. I just want to let everyone know that. So first, thank you for your time and attention for a few moments. Council has committed to a quarterly overall report on an ongoing basis, and this is the start of these updates. Council remains very privileged to be working together in, a, in unity as we seek to discern God's will for the future of Hardawike. It is also a joy to work together with the staff, even on days with hiccups, planning and setting goals, direction, and looking at new ministry opportunities. We are grateful to be fully staffed, and the staff remains united, working very well together as evidenced by the impromptu outdoor worship service a week ago during a partial power outage here. The summer has been busy on campus, and we are now so thankful to have returned to full fall programming across campus as well. The kickoff carnival last, week, last Wednesday was very well attended, with many present from the surrounding community that aren't Hardawike members currently. At least I didn't recognize them. Um, just a few days ago also marked the very busy start of our Wednesday community night dinner and classes, and Council expresses its deep thanks to all the volunteers and staff who make these evenings possible. On a personal note on that one, in GEMS we had 40 kids. That's double what we had last year. Cadets had 40 kids, which is also double what they had last year. And the preschool and kindergarten program had 29 kids. Last year they had six. So it's an amazing opportunity. We're super excited. But we need more help. <laughs> um, JB, Pastor JB stepped in and helped with the preschoolers. Uh, Becky Visser's daughter did because we weren't prepared. We did not expect that. Um, so if you feel called to come help us on Wednesday night, we'd love to have you there. We have leaders. We just need helpers. Somebody to be in the classroom and help the kids write and cut out paper and do stickers. Um, but we do have the leaders. So hopefully that makes it a little less intimidating for people. Uh, going back to this. As a council alongside the Hardawike staff, we have all just completed a five-month study of a book by Preston Sprinkle called Grace and Truth. And we are looking forward to our next study guide on what it is to be reformed, a publication of our denomination. Discussions have been thoughtful and challenging as we wrestle with changing our changing times, changing in our changing times. At its meeting this past Monday evening, council was also presented with an initial draft budget for 2023 from the Hardawike staff. This now fully staffed 2023 budget represents a 3.9% increase over this year's budget, which council felt was very reasonable considering current inflationary pressures. That being said, council remains very concerned regarding overall income against the congressionally approved operating budget for this year. Our ministry was blessed to start 2022 with an operating cash position of $400,000 or about three months of budgeted expenses thanks to a strong year-end giving. Over the last several months, operating cash has fallen to $120,000 or about a month of budgeted expenses. Your prayers for wisdom and discernment for the council and staff as we wrestle with a budget to be presented in November are deeply appreciated. 
Thank you for your faithful and consistent financial support as we move into the very busy fall ministry season where expenses often peak. The giving tab at hardawake.com has numerous options and ways to set up recurring giving, as does your local banking institution. More and more people are turning to preset recurring giving to Hardawake, and if you have not done so yet, we invite you to do so in the coming weeks. Consistent recurring giving helps make the budget planning process simpler and more predictable. As council, we appreciate predictability. Once again, thank you for your time and commitments to Hardawake Ministries in so many ways. It is deeply appreciated. Thank you, Meredith. And again, as we look to communicate, feel free to ask her or myself, uh, any of the staff, uh, what we don't know we will pursue. Um, this month, I've been focused on Heidelberg Catechism, question number 25. Uh, so let's, again, connect to our uh, faith as it's rooted. Number 26 is, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. That's the first statement of the Apostles' Creed. Together, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul, and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as Almighty God and willing also as a faithful Father. Let's uh, receive some special music to guide our worship.
Thank you both. Um, I've talked this morning once about serving, whether it's the music, whether it's with our children, whether it's through the course of the week. One of those ways to serve uh, and celebration is a part of this is we're sending a mission team to Ireland. They'll leave later this week. And celebration has three people on that team. I told them I wouldn't ask them to stand or sing or do an Irish jig, but I will mention their names. Deb Whitbeck, Carol Smith, Brooke Van Til. I'll wave to all three of you. Great. Grace to you. Celebration is a part of this ministry with Hardawike as we go to Ireland to serve with um, Luke and Kelsey Carrig, who were there outside of Dublin doing church renewal and church planting in the midst of that situation. Friends, Jesus is gifting his people to be part of his work across the whole world. Let's turn to the Lord and pray together with that in mind. Oh, Lord, our God and Father, we thank you that you have called us by your grace and adopted as us as your deeply loved children, and you're equipping us to serve your kingdom work, whether that's caring for people in hard circumstances with food or education through our Neighbors Plus, whether that's through heading to Ireland or cleaning up or preparing music or coffee, whatever it may be. Thank you. Give us this vision of the body at work together, empowered by your spirit to be part of something greater than ourselves. Thank you that Hardawike lives that out in a fascinating way with uh, three worshiping communities. We pray for Pastor Aaron, for his preaching and for Watershed as they uh, worship you today just across the parking lot. For Pastor JB and the Fusion community that'll meet again this morning, again, guide the preaching of your word and the worship of your people. We thank you that we can pray for Pastor Florencio and Mission, which will be meeting right where we are in just a few hours. Continue to encourage them in your truth and gospel of grace. Be with them, particularly this Hispanic Heritage Month. We thank you that your kingdom covers a variety of heritage and backgrounds and brings us all together, unique and different, but all together in Christ Jesus. Father, you have called this particular community celebration to love one another and to journey together that we might be formed by, found in, and following Christ Jesus. We take a moment now, and there's a large number of needs, more than I could pray for at one time, but I'll give you some themes and let you pray as a congregation in the silence of your hearts. First, for those who are sick with a hard diagnosis, perhaps treatment, um, journeying with medical care, entered into hospice, whatever it may be. Pray for those with needs, physical, emotional, mental. Jesus is Lord of all. And Father, we pray for those who are grieving. Uh, just this week, we've had a memorial service, a death. We've uh, walking through this, Father as a community. We beseech you to bring comfort to the grieving. Thank you for the ministry of Grief Share that's uh, begun a new group and a new cycle. Help people to uh, make that journey. Thank you that grieving is never a location or identity, even though it's a very real journey. 
be with those who grieve a loss. And finally, Father, I pray that you would give discernment to your people for these catechism machines that we have in our houses. Uh, The world calls them televisions. But we know they are used often to give us a different view of the world. Help us to hear your voice and to read and watch with discernment in all that we do, to speak humbly, to act kindly, to be quick to repent and quick to love, eager to listen even before we talk. Give your people discernment, I pray. And Father, in obedience to your scripture, we pray each week for those in authority over us, In our regular cycle, this is the week for our federal government. And so we pray by name for President Biden and Vice President Harris, for Michigan Senators Debbie Stabenow and Gary Peters, for our area uh, district representatives, Bill Heisinger, Peter Meyer, and Fred Upton, for the Supreme Court as they, um, again, serve their function in this, uh, their branch of government. We pray too for the upcoming election that you would bring truth and discernment. We pray that you would raise up leaders with discernment, guide their hearts, even if they're far from you. Finally, Father, we pray for the work of your church across the globe. We pray for our Ireland mission team, specifically for Brooke and Carol and Deb who leave from celebration in regard to that. Be with missions, local and international. We would pray in this tumultuous time for your peace and grace in Ukraine as they uh, resist the invasion of Russia. And we pray for Iran, Father. We thank you that for years now there has been an underground movement. The fastest growing Christian church on the planet has been underground in Iran for several years. We pray now that that church might make clear the gospel in the midst of this tumult that the citizens of their country who come to faith in you would live out as good citizens, rule of law for all, basic human rights, peaceful foreign policy. Father, we pray that you would have your hand in the midst of that tumult to the people that you've called to yourself. We pray for our brothers and sisters in those challenging circumstances. Father, as your people, you've called us to pray that in the place of prayer, The voice of the Good Shepherd leads and guides us. And so together in this moment, we pray with one heart and one voice, just as the Lord Jesus taught his disciples, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. I'm going to ask that we take a moment. Any of the kids that would like to join me up front here, I've got a particular time for our children before we dismiss those K through 3 to uh, their group. Come on down and we'll have some time. Oh, there we go. I see everybody making their way up here. All right. 
I got two gentlemen going to join me. And here comes Miss Janet. So we'll get her. How you do? Okay, here we go, guys. Um, watch this video for our time this morning, chapter three. Jacob had 12 sons, but his favorite was Joseph. One day, Jacob sent Joseph to check on his brothers who were working in the fields. Joseph's brothers resented him, and when they saw him coming, they attacked him and threw him in a well. Then they sold their brother as a slave, took off his coat, soaked it in goat's blood, and showed it to their father, tricking him into believing a wild animal had killed Joseph. Soon after, Joseph was sold to a military official in Egypt as a servant. God helped Joseph do great work, and the official was very happy with him. Joseph was very handsome, and the official's wife tried day after day to seduce him. One day, she pressured Joseph so much that he ran out of the house, leaving his coat behind. She told everyone that he tried to force himself on her. The official was furious and threw Joseph in jail. God once again helped Joseph in all he did. And eventually, he was put in charge of all the prisoners, helping run the jail. Joseph had the special ability to interpret people's dreams. One day, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, asked Joseph to interpret one of his dreams. He dreamed that seven fat cows were eaten by seven skinny cows, and seven heads of healthy grain were eaten up by seven heads of dried up grain. God helped Joseph interpret the dream. Egypt would experience seven years of successful farming, followed by seven years of famine. Pharaoh was impressed and put Joseph second in charge of Egypt. During the famine, Joseph's brothers came to Egypt looking for food. When they got there, they met with Joseph, but didn't recognize him right away. When Joseph finally told them who he was, they wept because they were sorry for what they had done. Eventually, they went and got their father, Jacob, and brought him back to Egypt. Joseph took care of his entire family, giving them property in the best part of the land where they lived for the rest of their lives. Okay, they came back to be with Joseph. And later on, and this is what we'll look at today, both in your group and as we stay here as adults, um, the brothers would come to him and say, we did bad to you. Please don't hurt us. Joseph would say to them, and I think I've got this uh, on the screen. He would say, though you meant it for evil, God worked it for good so that many would be saved. One of the great things about the gospel is that even when somebody does something to us, even when they intended to harm us, that we can live trusting in God who intended it for good, for God is at work in saving many lives. That's how we can live lives of forgiveness. Let me pray for you, and then some of you will head on for your groups. Father, thank you that in the stories of these broken people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you were at work to show us the gospel of your grace and to call us to new life in Christ. Thank you for these uh, young men. Strengthen and encourage them to grow into men of valor and of strength in Christ Jesus. We make our prayer in his mighty name and all of God's people said together, amen, amen. Thank you. Y'all can head off and back.
You can go wherever you like. That's with your mama. <laughs> Given last week, okay, there we go. Um, given last week, I decided to pull back and, and look at a key theme that runs from Genesis chapter 12 to Genesis 50. I'm not going to read all of that, but I will read the end point and the climax. And you'll find that in um, Genesis chapter 50 in the Pew Bible, or it'll be towards the end of chapter 3 in the story. Let me explain to you once again what we're doing this week. This is the story. It's an edition of the Bible. It uses the text from the New International Version, but it kind of edits to a, a more straightforward reading, so it reads almost like a novel, 31 chapters. And I will preach through these 31 chapters, uh, one each week. So we encourage you to get hold of one of these, dig in, and that's how we'll follow the Scripture. But even before I read, I want to ask a deeper question, a more fundamental one. Why invest time into reading the Bible? Why even do that? For some people, the Bible is just a place to gather facts about ancient people and lifestyles. And really, who's all that interested in that? Are we really left, left to just figure out how those facts can affect our decisions in life? Do I need to live by looking for a new Bible fact today in order to live better? I want to suggest to you that we read the Bible, and I encourage you to do it daily, not to gather Bible facts and be a killer at Bible trivia. For centuries now, believers have understood that go to this book, the Scripture, and there is where God will make himself known to each of us for centuries. People humbly come to this book and listen to the Spirit, not simply to gather facts and to prove how right they are, but rather to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. Now, it's helpful to understand some facts from and about the Bible to better understand the, and listen, but the goal is to know God himself better, to understand the gospel of God's grace more clearly, and to hear the Good Shepherd's voice with regard to what he's calling me to do repent, to speak a word to a friend, to enter into a volunteer ministry, whatever it may do, whatever it may be. Here's where we meet God, and that's why we read the Scripture. So I'll begin with Genesis chapter 50. It's at the end of uh, what you saw in the video. When G Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Think on that. You intended to harm me, but God intended it. He worked it out for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. 
And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Let's pray. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we do thank you for your word that in an amazing way, uh, Holy Spirit, you superintended the writing and recording of these stories, and you've preserved them in amazing ways across centuries now so that we might uh, open them, translate them, study, pray, and in these you will meet us by the promise that Jesus made, that these stories are about him. Give us hearts of humility, minds to listen, a desire to grow, not for our own good, but for the blessing and benefit of others, as well as the glory of the God who has saved us and redeemed us. Fill us with great hope this day, we pray, in Jesus' marvelous and mighty name, amen and amen. Well, I do want to go back all the way to the beginning of this passage. The chapter uh, two of this story picks up with God making a nation, and it will be, as you see, pages 13 through 27 here. Um, It's about chapter 12 through about chapter 35 in the scripture. It begins with an important insight, and this is a theme that will run through all of this today. God himself is at work in and through. Let's say that together. It's just that important that I want us all to have it ringing in our mind together. God himself at work in and through. And we see it at the very beginning of this passage in uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. I'll begin at verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Look at that. I will make you. If you remember middle school English, diagram that. And who is the subject? Who is the one who is acting? It's God. This is a story about God himself at work to do something. He says that his work will make Abram a blessing to all people. All nations will be blessed through you. It says. So, what God does, starting with Abraham and his family, he intends to be a blessing for all people, people who don't even know Abram exists. Imagine that. So, we see that God himself is at work. We see as well that his work is to be a blessing to all nations. But there's a very important third thing here. God himself will also be at work in Abram. And if we know anything about Abram, it's this. He needed the work. There's a horrifying story about Abram in just a few verses. It's chapter 12, verse 10. Seems there came to be a famine and Abram decided to go to Egypt for food. He was not following God there, I might say. He was hungry and he sought to provide for himself. He took his family to Egypt. Not a bad step perhaps, but coupled with the fear of his heart, you see, Abram married up. He had a beautiful wife. 
And he was concerned that the people that did not know him there in Egypt would see his wife and say, let's get rid of Abram and we can have her. So he beat them to the punch. He said, she's not my wife, she's my sister. Well, things progressed until the Lord himself brought bad sickness on the Egyptians. They discovered they had been fooled. They ran him out. Now, let me give you an evaluation of Abram's behavior there. It was awful. He was a schmo. God has intentions for marriage. When he created male and female in his image, he brought them together that they might be one in covenant union give life to others and to this planet. And God never intended men to treat women like that. Abram needed some work. See, this is the challenge, and we've talked about this. In the upper story, there's a loving, perfect God who's at work in history. But On the lower story, the lower narrative, the only people he can work through are broken sinners like you and me. Abram is a picture, not of what it means to be a hero of the faith, please follow my model. He's a picture of a great and gracious God using a broken person to not only change him, but to bless the whole world. That changes how you read the Bible. We need to be honest. Abram needs work inside of him. And the only way to understand that is what is said in the scriptures in Genesis 15, uh, 6. It says, Abram believed the Lord and the Lord credited to Abram as righteousness. See, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is a story not about what we've deserved, but about our belief, our faith in God to work, and that being credited to us as righteousness. It's an important idea throughout the Scripture. Now, I've got a number of other references in your sermon outline in the Bible, in the outline, so uh, I'm not going to dwell on those. But you need to see how this idea of faith becomes credited, not earned, as righteousness to us, and that's how we enter in. That's how God makes us a blessing to all nations. And again, uh, this is picked up in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul writes, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The gospel is about broken people being reconciled to God and changed so they can be reconciled to one another. All through the Bible, certainly in this passage, chapter 2 in the story, we see God works in the lives and through the lives of broken people. With Abram, there's this story in chapter 12, beginning of verse 10, oh, she's my sister when she's not. He goes on. And you'll remember in Genesis 16 or page 16 and 18, if you're reading in the story, they have a promise from God, Abram and his wife, but they feel they need to take care of it themselves. So Sarai gives to Abram her handmaid 
to have a baby. It's kind of a surrogate birth mother kind of arrangement. And I want to tell you, that made perfect sense if your goal was to conform to your culture and be approved by the people you lived with. That's how they would have done it. But it's not how God works. Ishmael, God would be gracious to him, but he was not the one through whom the promise came. Abram tried to get God's blessing his own way and in his own power, and it brought trouble. And then as if Abram wasn't broken enough, he does the she's my sister thing again. It was awful once. You want to slap him the second time. But you know, God works through people who are broken and confused. But he works for his glory and his goodness. Abram and Sarai have a son, Isaac, the son of promise. But you know what he does? Like many sons, he does the same thing he saw in his father. Uh, She's my sister. That story in Genesis chapter 26. See, Isaac makes the same sinful behavior as his dad, but God continues to work. Jacob, their son, one of twins, is a schemer and he steals a family blessing. Not a good thing to do, not approved behavior, not a check mark in the plus column. But a great and good God is at work through broken, scheming people. You read the whole story of uh, Jacob, chapters 28 through 35, and you'd have to say, he headed up a dysfunctional family. Friends, Scripture is clear that family is important and that it matters. And we need to learn how to live graciously and fruitfully in families. But you know, every family is started by two sinners. And it becomes a larger collection of sinners. What we learn in families about grace, about repentance, about forgiveness, not about perfection. God is at work in and through this list of broken people. Now in chapter three, and this is uh, the book of Genesis, these last chapters, we focus in on the life of Joseph, one of Jacob's sons. And he again works out this picture of God himself at work in and through, this time in the life of one person, Joseph. We see God at work in Joseph's life when he starts as a spoiled child. You know, it's not good parenting to have several children and to pick a favorite and to play that favorite across all the others. That's not model parenting. Now, it's hard. I was, we had three kids, and you know, all three of them had the same mother and dad. All three of them grew up in the same place, and they were all three very different. And how to love them and interact with them and treat them with that same love and interaction, that's a challenge. But playing favorites is a whole different thing. Jacob spoiled Joseph. And we see him at the beginning of the story. Oh, look at me. Have you heard of the dreams about me? His brothers would go on to sell him into slavery. 
Now, I wish we had time to look at this. It struck me in my study. This is a moment the brothers sell Joseph for their own benefit to someone else. This is what American chattel slavery looked like. Kidnapping, the Bible calls it man-stealing. It's a capital crime in the Old Testament. And it's very different than what would be practiced among the Hebrews, where when someone was in debt, they might become enslaved in order to pay off their debt, in order to be mentored and grow, in order to be fed. See, there's a difference in the Bible between man-stealing, is the King James term, and what grew up in the American South, and between bondage among Israel, God's people. I wish we had time. There's a great article. It's called An Appeal to the Christian Women of the South. The author is Angelina Grimke. She was born in Charleston, South Carolina in 1805. And she wrote that article. She makes a clear distinction between man-stealing and the slavery of the South and bondage in the Bible. It was known then. We need to know it now. Joseph's brothers are man-stealers. It would be outlawed. This is not an example of good behavior. Joseph would be um, sold into slavery, man-stealing, and he would be owned by a military official there. His wife would betray him. Perhaps you know the story will go on. And then in prison, he would be forgotten. These are the hard circumstances. They look like suffering because they are suffering. It looks like betrayal and being forgotten because it is betrayal and being forgotten. It's hard, but God is at work in them. And through this whole time, God is at work through Joseph to be a blessing. The first one I put down here, I want to summarize as good government. Whether Joseph is in the household of that government military official, whether he's in the prison or whether he's raised to the position in the nation. He's a man who brings rule of law, good government, blessing. Rule of law and good government comes from the hand of God. And we need to repent when we find ourselves hard-pressed by bad government. Joseph bought it. Through him, there was a blessing of food during famine, not only for his family, but for the whole nation. And finally, at the crescendo, it reaches a place of forgiveness. This is one of the most extraordinary moments in all of Scripture where God himself is at work. Here's this spoiled child who's betrayed, who suffers, and at the end has the power of life and death. And when his brothers come to him, it may even be a made-up story. Did their dad really tell them that? They said, oh, don't kill us. Don't take revenge. Don't do to us what we did to you. He says, am I in the place of God? You see, revenge belongs to God, not to you, not to me. Do I have control? No, I don't. But in everything I face, God is at work. Look at this. God himself at work. You intended to harm me. The amazing thing about the Bible, it is not in denial about the evil we face. 
Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever been humiliated? Someone worked against you at cost to your business, at injury to your family? The Bible knows we live in a broken world and that happens. We don't live in denial about that. But we do live under the blessing of a God who says, I can take what the world intended for evil and I can work it out for good. Evil is not yet eradicated, but it is conquered because God can work it out for good. He can accomplish what is now being done so that many lives can be saved. Friends, I want to tell you, if you are carrying pain or wounds, if when I talk about forgiveness or revenge, a face comes to mind or an experience or an incident, I want to tell you, evil is evil, but God can work even evil to your benefit, to the benefit of others and to his glory. Think of that. The way we forgive others is to first experience that forgiveness ourselves. We have a power to forgive others, not because they deserve it, but because we have been forgiven, not because we deserve it, but because of what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. Friends, that's the gospel. It's right here in Genesis. It'll play out through the whole scripture. Who is it in your life that Jesus died for, but that you're still whipping? Let's pray. Father, we, we live real lives on a broken planet, and sometimes we can navigate it, sometimes it's overwhelming. But I pray that in all things, even when we face evil or suffering or our own mistakes and inabilities, that we might be drawn to the cross where Jesus took upon himself the evil of this world and offered to us a security and an eternity in him. Lord Jesus, this is bigger than we can imagine or understand. But I pray in this moment that each of us might in a fresh and new way say, beyond my understanding, but I will trust. Because it's that faith in God and what he can do beyond my understanding that gets credited to me as it did to Abraham. The righteousness that brings life. Father, I pray that you would help each of us navigate the depth of our hearts where we struggle with forgiveness, where we feel justified in revenge or overwhelmed and overcome by the wound or the hurt. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you might release hearts to freedom and to kindness and to humility. Are we in the place of God? We would pray with Joseph. Could it be that you are at work in all things? We hardly understand it. We could not write out a diagram, 
but we will trust you by your grace. This we pray in the marvelous and mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. Hymn number 498, our help is in the name of God the Lord. Let us stand and sing this confession and profession of faith. Let me give you a blessing from the book of Romans. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to a church that he would one day go and see. And now he extends this blessing to us. Now to him who's able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Amen.